Matthew 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's bow our heads in a moment of prayer, shall we? Gracious God, we thank you for your scripture, for the word, the living word that speaks to us. And we pray, God, that you would attune our hearts now to your living voice as we reflect on your word. Open our hearts, soften us, so that that word might go in deep, it might challenge and comfort and and make us more like Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this year, this crazy 2020 year also happens to be the 200th anniversary of our church, of Knox Presbyterian. Sort of gets overshadowed in the midst of all the pandemic we're facing, doesn't it? And this anniversary year, we hope to hold many celebrations, but we've had to push all those off to next year. The pandemic scuttled all those good plans. We will, however, mark the occasion this fall of Knox's 200th anniversary. So pay attention for more details on that to come a little bit later in the fall. But I hope in the middle of this milestone anniversary, I think it gives us time to reflect. And what I'd love to do is to plant, as we reflect, to plant this question, for us to wrestle with this question. Why are we here? Why are we here as a church? Why are we here in Toronto at this time? If those first members of Knox Church 200 years ago, when they gathered in a schoolhouse in the town that was called York at that time, if they put up a sign outside that schoolhouse that said, Knox Presbyterian Church, we exist too, I wonder what they would have said. I wonder what they would have put on that sign. And if we put a sign out on the front of Spadina here, we exist too. What do you think we should put in that? We exist for what? In this 200th anniversary year of ministry, why are we here as a church? Have we fulfilled our mission? Do we still have a purpose here in Toronto? We need to keep asking that question because it's so easy for us to drift, to lose sight of our mission, to lose sight of our calling as a church. That often happens. Many churches over time just drift from what is their core mission. They lose their way. They start out with great energy, with great vision, with great devotion to the cause of Jesus Christ. But over time, drift happens. They lose sight of their mission. That's often why God will raise up other churches so that these other churches will accomplish what his church is supposed to accomplish. Now this question, why do we exist You know, that's not only a good question for us as we mark our 200th anniversary. It is the perfect question for a church living in the midst of a global pandemic as well. This COVID-19 pandemic, with all the constraints it has placed upon gathering, it is forcing churches everywhere to ask that question. Why do we exist? Why are we here? If we can't meet in a building called church, well then, what is church all about? 
Why do we exist? If the building is closed, does that mean that the church has shut its doors? Can we still accomplish our mission even though the doors of a sanctuary are shut? You know, many churches have have attempted to rush back to in-person worship because they believe their central mission is to hold worship services. And while we believe worship is a central practice for the church, it is not our mission to hold worship services. It's a dangerous thing when we lose sight of our mission. Many businesses have encountered the same thing as they engage their, uh, their business. Sometimes businesses lose their mission and they get forgotten. Think, for instance, of Blockbuster Video. Now, some of you probably have no idea what Blockbuster Video is. I know I'm dating myself here. But there was once a day when people actually watched movies on this thing called videotape, VHS. And you would go to a store and you would have to rent that. And you'd take it home. If you didn't get bring it back in time, you'd get dinged with all sorts of late fees. And Blockbuster Video was the biggest retail outlet of video uh, rentals. They started out with VHS videos. Technology changed. And so... It moved to DVDs. They were the biggest movie distribution outlet in North America. They had stores everywhere. Someone said every 17 hours, a new blockbuster uh, video store opened up in North America. Today, so many people have no idea what blockbuster video is because they lost sight of their mission. They were so focused on their stores, they thought their business was the business of a brick-and-mortar store rental place where they could rent movies. And they figured at the time, they saw this little startup, a little rental-by-mail company called Netflix. They thought, we can ignore that. That's not real competition for us. They didn't realize that the world was changing. They didn't see the impact, the implications of the digital transformation that was going on, but they also didn't understand their mission. They thought their business was storefront delivery of movie rentals. They lost sight of their mission, and so they were left behind. Today, there is only one store of a blockbuster store. It's in Bend, uh, Oregon, and it is a museum, basically, to a day that is lost in time. It is, it is a, a, a relic now. It is really a museum to what happens when you lose sight of your mission. I don't want the church to find ourselves in that place. In order to avoid it, we need to face some realities about our day and age. We need to face up to the fact that the world has changed. Life is not going back to some normal that we once enjoyed. It's not going back to a time when the church, you know, had a favored place in the cultural landscape. That's no more. We're not going back to a time when most people around us, all our friends, neighbors, coworkers, when they knew the Bible, when they understood Christianity, and when a whole lot of people went to church. That world, it's gone. And now with COVID-19... We have to face more realities, hard realities, that the world has changed once again and that life, it's not going back to normal. We're already changing our habits and patterns right now. And that, that can be a frightening prospect for us, right? We grieve the loss of a lot of different things. But I think it's an exciting time too because you know what? The church has seen this film before and we've encountered it and God's mission has remained the same. I think this is a pretty exciting time to be the church. Because think, how might God renew the mission of the church in this time? How might the church be released in a whole new way to truly be the people of Jesus in the world? 
And so while we need to face the realities that we face in this time, we also need a really renewed definition or understanding of what we're about as a church. Why do we exist? What business are we in as a church? And so as Knox Church turns 200, we turn to the Lord of the church to find that answer, to renew our mission as a church. We turn to the one who holds all authority in heaven and earth. What does Jesus call the church to? What is he, his mission for the church in any and every age? The mission of the church, our reason for existence, the primary business of the church, it remains the same now as it did 200 years ago when Knox first started. It remains the same now as 2,000 years ago when the church first started, and it is this to make disciples. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen to those final words of Jesus to this church. As Jesus is ascending to heaven to reign at the right hand of the Father, Jesus says, go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Make disciples of all people. That is it. There it is. Simple, clear-cut. Be about calling people to the central reality in the universe, Jesus Christ. Form people, shape people, align people's lives around the way of Jesus. This is our mission, to call people to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the work of Jesus in the world. But it's easy to lose sight of that mission. It's easy, for instance, to think of the mission of the church as to hold worship services. As I said, that's a central practice of the church. That is not our central mission. It's easy to think of the central mission of the church as to build bigger and growing churches. You know, where we offer more and more programs to people. Let's be clear, we are not in the business of building bigger churches. Our prime directive from Jesus is to make disciples. And when we do that task well, I know we will grow and we will multiply and and the church will become bigger. That would be a fruit, a consequence of us making disciples, but not the goal. Our mission is not bigger churches. Our mission has always been to be a community of disciple-making disciples. And I know it's basic. It's simple. If you've been in church for any length of time, you know this. You have heard this. We are called to be fishers of all people, Jesus says. We are called to be followers who gather in others into the life of God's kingdom. But the tendency of the church is to reduce that mission, to sort of flatten it, to make it something other. I don't know who first said this because it's been attributed to all sorts of different people, but it's, a, it's an astute quote. It says this, Christianity was launched as a movement of fishers of people, but today we are keepers of the aquarium. May we not be keepers of the aquarium. I pray we not become a blockbuster church. Our mission is to call men and women to the life-giving presence of Jesus Christ, helping them grow and mature and become followers of Christ, helping them to experience the fullness of life in Jesus, shaping them to become influencers, witnesses of God's kingdom in the world, a community of people who, who look so beautiful like Jesus, who do the things Jesus did, who point to the love and the grace and the justice and the mercy of God's kingdom. 
Now, what Jesus is doing here with his disciples, it, it only makes sense with how we are made up as human beings. Jesus is calling disciples to follow him in a fairly exclusive relationship. And this is important because every human being is a follower, is a disciple of someone or something, everyone. We follow perhaps a cultural thinker who is the authority that we align our thinking, our actions with. Perhaps it's a celebrity. Perhaps it's a professor. Perhaps it's an ideology. We're all disciples. Drake, he's a disciple. Justin Trudeau, he's a disciple of someone. Kyle Lowry, he's a disciple. Your professor at U of T, he's a disciple of someone. Your boss, she's a disciple of someone. Everyone orients their life, their activity, around someone or something that they hold as an authority for their lives. So the question isn't, you know, it's not a matter of, will I be a disciple? Rather, it's always a matter of, who am I following with my life? Who's the disciple? Whose disciple will I be? And I think that's actually a pretty helpful truth for us to grab hold of because it's revelatory. I think it's explanatory for sometimes some of the the dissonance or anxiety or struggle we feel in life. Because so much of the struggle we feel in life is because we're trying to be disciples of more than one master in our life. But the truth is you can't live like that. Most of the frustration I think that we experience and feel in life is due to the fact, well, we want the life that Jesus offers to us. We can see it, and it looks so good. And yet we see other authorities or other masters who hold out life, and, and we're torn and we're divided because we think we want that as well. And so in a world that is filled with diverse people and authorities calling for our allegiance, offering different visions of life, here's the critical question for us to ask. Why be a disciple of Jesus? Why follow Jesus? Why make disciples of Jesus? Because you know what? It can be tough, especially in our day and age, our culture. Following Jesus is going to make you different. People are going to think of you foolish for doing something like that. Why should we attempt what can sometimes feel like a pretty arrogant thing to make disciples of Jesus? How, how dare you? Why would you do that? In the gospel story we heard today, Matthew 4, we hear of Jesus calling first two disciples and then two more. And they respond to Jesus with an, an immediacy, with an obedience that is remarkable. They leave their nets, their professional life of fishing. They leave their family. They leave their means of income to follow Jesus. And you read that and you think, seriously? Like, just boom, like that? Where are they going? How are they going to pay their bills? What about their families? What about their jobs? What's the plan? How how can anyone do that? How does Jesus get these fishermen to drop everything and follow him? The reason, of course, is Jesus himself. Because there's never been anyone like Jesus For us here at Knox, we center our lives on following Jesus. We gladly make disciples of Jesus Christ and no one else because of the utter uniqueness of who Jesus is. We are convinced he is not only the smartest human being that ever lived, he is not only the wisdom of the world, the teacher of the world's greatest wisdom. He's not only the most 
humane embodiment of compassion and mercy. He's not only the, the fiercest advocate for justice in this world. He's not only the most gracious friend of sinners. But this Jesus is also the son of God. Jesus Christ is the savior of the world who has come into this world, taking upon us, uh, upon himself, our suffering, giving his life for our sake. He's the long-awaited king this world has been waiting for. And we follow Jesus because he is the one who faced and defeated death. He is the resurrection. He's the life. He's the light of the world. He's the judge and ruler of history. He is the Lord over all things. And we follow Jesus not just as a Sunday hobby, but in every part of our lives. We follow Jesus as bankers and as plumbers, as moms and as managers, as artists and students in offices and homes, in neighborhoods and over Zoom. We follow Jesus with all that we have and all that we are. And we strive to make disciples of this beautiful, amazing, glorious Jesus. Now, what do you think it means to follow Jesus? We live in a social media age when following almost takes on a new meaning, doesn't it? Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Like follow someone on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook? You know, Jesus posts some fun things, great photos, some provocative statements, some nice memes. Let's make disciples like that. Making disciples is nothing like following someone on Instagram or Twitter. The word disciple, follower, is, is really to be a student, but not like a student in a university class. It is more like an apprentice, the apprentice carpenter or the apprentice electrician, someone that you spend time with, a master that you're with and you're watching and you're learning the ways and that master is teaching you embodied ways. Uh, you're learning this, the, the skills of the master. An apprentice learns new habits, new ways of thinking, new ways of being. Following Jesus is like that. It is ordering and organizing and orienting your life or the whole of your life around Jesus. To arrange your schedule, your priorities, your heart, your habits around the way of life of Jesus. This is who we are as a church. This is our primary business, making disciples who live in such a relationship with Jesus that we are filled with his life, that we are growing in his character, that we are seeing and, and the world and feeling the world with the ache that God has in his heart for a broken world. And it's making people who know they are participants in the mission that Jesus has given to renew all things in this world. It's that big. And everything in this church has to be judged by that mission and that call. And here's the beauty, here's the wonder of it, in, especially in this pandemic time we face. We can do this right in the middle of a pandemic. That is not an impediment to fulfilling this mission. We can do this while the doors of the sanctuary are shut. We can do this Monday through Saturday. We can do this in our homes. We can do this in our pandemic bubbles. We can do this over Zoom. What a crazy way to mark 200 years of ministry, isn't it? What a strange time to, to remember 200 years of ministry and then to launch out in a whole new chapter of ministry in the midst of this global pandemic. But maybe it's actually a gift from God. Perhaps this is a beautiful gift, a disruption 
that will move us out of any mistaken notions of what our mission is and help clear the air so that we get very focused on the very thing Jesus has always given to his church, this mission. Because this is why we exist. This is why we worship. This is why we give. This is why we pray. This is why we do justice, why we are witnesses. This is why we have a building. This is why we do a live stream. This is why we gather in home churches. This is why we love the city. This is why we spend our lives to serve the world, to make disciples of the one who is life. Jesus, the Lord of life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, amen. Friends, we're going to take a moment of quiet and reflection. And it's an opportunity just to listen for what the Spirit of God might be saying to you. And allow this reflection question that will be put on the screen as an opportunity to prompt some of your reflection. The really good news for humanity is that Jesus is taking students in the master class of life. What holds you back from the call to join Jesus and make disciples? Disciples.